evening. I am very glad to be here with you tonight, and I'm glad that you're here with me. We are going to talk about a story out of the Old Testament about the very first raindrop that ever fell. You know, the Bible tells us that when God created this world, He put water above our atmosphere and water below the atmosphere. They call the atmosphere the firmament, but that's what He's talking about. And He said there was water above it and there was water below it. And the Bible says that every day dew came up and watered the face of the earth. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen what we call a terrarium, but it's a contained, closed container that you put some water in, you plant some plants, and you close it all up, and you don't have to water it. It just waters itself. That's kind of the way a terrarium works. Well, that's the way the earth worked. The Bible says that it had never rained on the face of the earth, that they'd never seen water fall from the sky. Now, Around here this year, West Texas has seen some waterfall from the sky, right? I know that's unusual, but you've seen it this past year. They'd never seen that. What they did do, though, is they became wicked. They became very, very wicked. Now, I was raised in a small town in Oklahoma... And it was very similar to the small towns in West Texas. We were, you know, we were not like the big cities. When I moved to Dallas, I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a crazy, wicked world. In fact, when I first moved there, first apartment I lived in had gates <laughs> because I was concerned about how wicked Dallas was. Well, I learned the gates really just annoy the people who live there. They don't provide you any protection. But you know, the Bible says that at this period of time, these people were so wicked that they thought about only evil continually. You know what that means? That means from the time they woke up in the morning until the time they went to bed at night, all they thought about was wickedness. Now, that'd be a bad place to live, wouldn't it? It was so bad, in fact, that the Bible says God was disgusted with the earth, with the people in the earth, and God decided that He was going to destroy this creation that He'd made. And in the book of Genesis, we read this, "...the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth." He said, I am going to destroy everyone that's alive on the face of the earth. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God says, I'm done. I'm done. Now, those of you who are parents have at some point with your children reached a point where you said to them, I'm done. That's it, right? You've reached that point. Well, God reached that point much more seriously than you with your kids. He said, I'm done. I'm not going to put up with it. In fact, I'm going to kill everyone who's alive. I'm going to destroy them all. I'm going to bring flood waters. And we're going to cover every mountain, everything on earth. And everyone's going to die. So why are we here? I mean, isn't that a good question? If God says, I'm going to kill everyone, well, why are we here? I can tell you why we're here. 
The next verse says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you know what grace is? Grace specifically is favor. Now, when it has to do with God's favor toward man, we call it undeserved favor, right? Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah, the Bible says, was a righteous man, a man that tried to serve God with his children. He sought to do what was right. And so out of all the people on the earth that were wicked, there was one family, Noah and Mrs. Noah and their three sons and those sons' wives. And those are the only righteous people on earth. But God saw them and He said, you know, even though this whole world is wicked, even though everything is bad, I have grace on these people. I'm going to save these people. And so he goes to Noah and he says, I want you to make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And I want you to make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And he told him to build this ark. Now, do you know what the word ark means? I used to think an ark was a boat. That's not what the word ark means. Ark means box. Remember the ark of the covenant, which was that box that had the Ten Commandments and the bowl of manna and Aaron's rod? Ark means box. He says, I want you to build this great big box that's going to float, and I want you to cover it inside and outside with pitch. And he gives him description of exactly how he wants him to build that. Someone has built a model of that in Kentucky. Okay? And to the best of their ability, they followed the directions in the Bible about how to build it. We got to go see it last year, and there's a picture of it. And that thing is huge. It's 300 cubits long, 30 cubits high, and 50 cubits wide. Now, that's big. 300 cubits long is... The same as 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. You ever seen a football field? It's a football field and then another half of a football field long. It's 45 feet tall. That's like a four-story building. This thing was massive. And he told him, I want you to get some animals. I want you to get seven pairs of the clean and two pairs of the unclean, a male and his female, and I want you to bring them into the ark. And he said, I want you to build it out of gopher wood, and I want you to put pitch on the inside and the outside of it. Now, pitch was like waterproofing, okay? It was like tar that waterproofed it. The ark was so large, it would hold the same amount as 522 boxcars. You ever seen a train that had 500 boxcars? I've never seen one that big. I don't know what the biggest train in the world is, but that's huge. It held a tremendous amount of stuff. And the Bible says, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So God told Noah, I want you to build this ark. And I want you to make this ark this size, and I want you to make it out of this wood. And Noah did everything just like God told him to do. Now, when I think about that, I think about a question. Would Noah have been obeying God if he decided to use oak or pine instead of gopher wood? Would that have been obedience? Anyone? No? 
That wouldn't. He wouldn't have been obeying God. Well, what if he decided to make it 250 cubits long instead of 300? He still built a boat out of gopher wood and used pitch and all, but he only made it 250 cubits instead of 300. Would that have been obeying God? No. But we find that Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. Noah was a faithful man. He was a righteous man. He tried to do what God told him to do. Do you know how long it took him to build that ark? A hundred years. It took him a hundred years to build that ark. Now, when we bought our house, it was a house that a guy started building and just abandoned, and it was, it was a mess, and a lot of it didn't even have sheetrock. And my wife said, well, what if we don't want to stay here? I said, I think I can have it in shape in 90 days. We're still working on it. <laughs> My wife probably thinks it would take me a hundred years. It might, but this really took him a hundred years to build this thing. And once he got it built, the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So Noah gets this ark all built. And God gathers all these animals up and God says to Noah, Noah, you and your family come into the ark. Now you got to realize he's been working on this a long time. There's a lot of animals in that ark. He's preached and he's warned people for a hundred years there's going to be a flood. But as of yet, there's not been one raindrop that's fallen. Noah, though, was the kind of guy that had incredible faith and confidence in God. He trusted God. Even when everything he'd ever seen looked to the contrary, this guy trusted God. And the Bible says God told him when he went into the ark, he said, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I've made. He says, I'm going to cause water to fall out of the sky for 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind. So God said, come in. And that very day, they moved into the ark. They didn't waste any time. Excuse me. They didn't waste any time. It didn't take them any more time. They just, all of them, went in the ark with all those animals that very day. And the Bible says they went into the ark and the Lord shut him in. So, you know, you think about it. You got a bunch of animals. You got a big door. You got all these people. Once you get in the ark, how are you going to close that door? God reached down and closed that door for them. God shut them in that ark. And after God shut them in that ark, it came to pass that the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened and rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine that? In my mind, when I read these Bible stories, and I, I suspect you do the same, I just try to imagine, what was that like? I don't know. I look for pictures of the fountains of the great deep being broken up. That's the closest I could find. I don't know what it was like. Can you imagine the earth just bursting open and water just shooting up out of the inside of the earth? 
Just huge, gushing water coming up out of the inside of the earth. And then the rain. It's a picture of rain clouds. You ever seen rain clouds like that? It rained and it rained and it rained. The rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. There have been a few times in my life where it's rained four or five days in a row. You know, after a few days of rain, you get to go in. <laughs> I'd like a little sunshine now. That'd be nice to have a little sunshine. It had never, ever rained. But now water's falling in buckets. It's like a huge storm and it goes on and on and water's gushing up out of the earth. And this ark that Noah and his family's in, as the water begins to rise, that old boat, that old big box that they were in began to creak and move a little bit. And, you know, at some point they could feel, whoa, we are not on the ground anymore, folks. And that water continued to rise and lift them up and rise. And that water covered all of the mountains. And Noah and his family were the only ones still alive. They were the only ones to survive this problem, this flood. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I, I in my wildest dreams, can't imagine... You know, what I want to talk about with you a little bit tonight is this invitation that God gave Noah to come into this ark. You know, in my mind, I think about that, and at first thought, I go, well, that'd be a pretty simple thing, you know? I mean, God says, get in the ark. I'm going, I'm getting in the ark, right? I mean, that would be pretty simple, but you have to realize that this is a serious, serious commitment to get in this ark. I mean, when you get in this ark, everything will be different. Once you get out of the ark, everything is going to be different. This took what I would call a wholehearted commitment. You know, we use the word wholehearted to talk about somebody really being committed to something. If you like sports, you like your football team to be wholehearted in their effort, right? Nobody wants a half-hearted effort, do they? People get benched for half-hearted efforts. People get kicked off the team for half-hearted effort, right? They were wholehearted in their commitment to what God said. One, they'd worked at it for a hundred years. But wholehearted is, it means unconditional. Wholehearted means there is nothing that's going to stop me from doing whatever I have agreed to do. Wholehearted means it's the only thing that matters. It means without reserve, I'm holding nothing back. I'm giving it my all. It means I'm all in. I don't know if you've ever played poker before or not. I've never played poker for real money, but I have played poker with friends at times for chips. And you know what all in is? It's when you take your whole stack of chips and you put everything in on this hand. And if you lose, guess what? You're out. Game's over. That's the idea behind this wholehearted. Noah was risking everything he had to go into that ark. And it was quite an ordeal. I want you to think about the cost to Noah. 
we've already noted that Noah worked for a hundred years. Have you ever worked on anything for a long, long time? I mean, really spent a long, long time. We've got some real young ones here who are going, yeah, I've spent a long time on something. That's great. I mean, really long time? He worked and worked and worked for a hundred years. Think about what that was like. You know, for a hundred years of him building that ark, there was not a single drop of rain. Now, I know me. And I know if I believe God told me to build an ark, I could get excited about that. And I'd get in there and get the project going. But you know, after about 65 years, I'm going to be looking on the horizon for a cloud. You get to 75 or 80 years and I'm thinking, Lord, a little mist on the windshield would be nice. (laughs) Just to encourage me to just let me know this is really going to happen. Don't you know that he was the laughing stock of the whole area? I mean, everybody talking, that weirdo Noah building that big old boat out here in the middle of nowhere. He says, water's going to fall out of the sky. He's been telling us that for a hundred years, and it never happened. I mean, he was committed to put up with that ridicule. And you know, not only that, but during that hundred years, he preached. And he had not one single convert. Can you imagine what that would have been like? How discouraging that would have been? You know, the church here supports some men to do evangelism, don't you? You're involved in that. Would you keep supporting a guy who'd never converted anyone? After a while, you'd be going, you know, Skippy, you might want to choose another job. (laughs) Do something different. A hundred years and no converts? That would be discouraging. I tell you what, it would be so discouraging, I might quit. What about you? Not Noah. Noah was so committed that he worked tirelessly and he preached tirelessly, even though there was no rain and there were no converts for a hundred years. I want you to think about what he lost when he went into the ark. He lost his family. You might say, well, I thought his boys went. Yeah, his sons went with him. But you know, Noah had brothers and sisters. Noah had cousins and aunts and uncles. Noah had a lot of family that didn't get in that ark with him. A whole bunch of them. And you know, when he goes in that ark, he is saying goodbye to them for the very last time. Not only did he lose family, he lost his friends. You know, you'd think in a wicked world like he lived in, the one guy, the one family who were good people, who were nice, there'd be people that liked him, right? I mean, the one family that wouldn't cheat you in a business deal. Surely Noah had some friends. Surely he had friends that maybe didn't believe. But you know, even a crazy guy's going to have some friends, right? Did you know even Hitler had friends? (laughs) Yeah, even Hitler. Everyone's got some friends, right? When he got in the ark and the door was closed without his friends, he was saying goodbye to them for the very last time. He would never see those friends again. He lost his homeland. 
I've been blessed to be able to travel to Nigeria. And I tell you what, one thing that happens first time you go to Nigeria is when you get back in America, <laughs> you appreciate America. My son went with me, and when we got back, we got off the plane, and he went, ah, it's sure good to breathe free air again. <laughs> he wasn't going to have homeland to come back to. It's all going to be gone. He lost his income. You know, when this is over, he's not going to run down to Home Depot and get a job. <laughs> There's nowhere to work. There's no job to get. There's no civilization that exists anymore. It's all gone. When he gets into that ark, he's a man who goes into that ark with no credibility. None. Nobody believes him. If one person had believed him, he'd have had a convert. But no one believed this guy. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us, we want to have some credibility, don't we? I mean, we don't want people to just dismiss everything we say. When someone dismisses the things we say, it's offensive to us, isn't it? We go, oh, well, you think you are, you know. We may not say that, but we'll think it, right? Just who do you think you are? You think you know better than me about everything? Noah was the laughing stock of the world for a hundred years. The laughing stock of everyone. He had no credibility. So what did he get? I mean, would you do if you had to lose your family and your friends, your homeland, your income, your credibility? Would you do all that? Why would Noah do that? I know some people would look at this list and they go, you know what? If I had to give up all my family and my friends, my credibility, my land, my income and everything else, just let me die with the rest of them. You know, there's people that would have that attitude. Not Noah. Noah stuck with God. And you know what God did? God delivered him. He did not die. That's what Hebrews says about him. It says, through faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He did not die. Now, there was a great destruction. It was a terrible destruction. It was almost total destruction of everyone alive on the earth. Except Noah. Noah did not die when that first raindrop fell. You know, God has always required this type of commitment. That's always been the case with God in every generation, with every group of people. He has always required the kind of people who had an all or nothing kind of commitment to God. You know why that is? The reason that's the case is because if there's a limit to your commitment to God, at some point you're going to quit. Have you ever heard the phrase, everyone's got their price? You ever heard that? Everything's for sale for the right price, right? We all have things that are precious to us, things that are important to us, things that are valuable to us, right? You've got something in your house that's of value to you. What would you give that up for? What would you sacrifice that for? You might say, well, it'd take a whole lot. Yeah, but there is a price, right? You see, if there's a price... 
At some point, when you face tribulation, when you face trouble, when you face persecution, when you face problems, at some point, Satan will see to it that price is met. And you'll quit. You'll give up on God. He has always required that His people have an all-or-nothing kind of commitment to Him. In a way, Job said it was like this, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Do you trust God that much? You know, Job had all kinds of problems. I mean, he lost all his kids. They all died. The only one he kept was his wife, and she was more of a problem to him than if she'd have died, probably, because she told him to curse God and die. All his friends turned against him and told him, well, it's all your fault, when it really wasn't. I mean, he had terrible diseases. He had boils from head to toe. He lost all his business. He lost everything. And you know what he said? Even if God kills me, I'm going to trust him. Does that make sense to you? Would you trust someone who was going to kill you? You know, here's the deal. Here's the bottom line truth. God is God. He's, he's God. You know, I teach in a private Christian school and I teach Bible. And one of the classes I teach is an apologetics class. And apologetics is a defense of Christianity. It's why we believe the Bible is true and why we believe the things in the Bible are true. Why we believe Jesus was the Son of God, things like that. And sometimes in teaching that, kids ask me questions. One of the questions that gets asked sometimes early on is, well, why are you a Christian, Mr. McCorkle? And I can tell you why I'm a Christian. Because Christianity's true. That's why I'm a Christian. It's true. Jesus is the Son of the living God. God is God. And it doesn't matter what happens in my life. That's true and that doesn't change. And if I lose all of my business, guess what? He's still God, isn't He? And if I lose my child, something happens and my child or my grandchild dies, guess what? He's still God. And if everyone laughs at me and makes fun of me and rejects me and I'm by myself in following Him, guess what? He's still God. And if God lets me die, He's still God. When I go to Nigeria, every time I go, someone from the church, other than my wife, comes to me and says, please don't go. Don't go. You know why people tell me that? Because they're afraid I'll get over there and something bad's going to happen and I'll get kidnapped or I'll die. That's the reason people tell me that. Don't go. We pray before we leave. Before I leave, we always pray that God will take care of me. And we'll take care of my wife while we're apart, while I'm in Nigeria. And especially this time with my son, we prayed that God would bring us home safely. So I could bring the cub home to mama like I promised I'd do. And you know what? If we get over there sometime and God says no to those prayers, guess what? He's still God. He's still God.
Nothing changes that He's God. And if He always is God, then I'm going to trust Him and I'm going to serve Him no matter what happens. You see, that's Noah's attitude. It doesn't matter what happens. I am going to trust God because of who He is. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments is the way David said it. He said, with my whole heart, he was wholehearted. He said, I'll serve you no matter what you do. I love this one. Daniel, the king said, you bow down and you worship my golden image when the trumpet sounds. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we watched Veggie Tales, so we called them Rack, Shack, and Benny. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. We will not bow down and worship that golden image because it's not God. And the king caught them and brought them before him. And they said this to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Do you think God was able to do that? Absolutely, he was able to do that. They said, our God, our God, the real God is able to deliver us from you. But you know what they said next? He will deliver us, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Say, God can save us. And you know the story. God did save them, right? They said, God can save us. We believe he will save us. But if he doesn't, you just know this, He's God, and I'm going to serve Him. It does not matter what happens to me, because He is God, and I will serve Him. What faith, what incredible faith. God's people have always had this kind of faith. And you know what? God has given the same invitation to you. Here's the way Jesus said it. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come, come to me. That's the same kind of invitation that Noah got to come into the ark. Come to me. He said, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Do you labor? Are you heavy laden? Does life ever get to really be a burden for you? Does life ever really get hard? If it hasn't, it will. <laughs> promise you that. He should come. Take my yoke, learn from me, because I'm gentle, and I'm lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul if you come to me. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you'll come to me, you can find rest for your burdened, weary soul. But you need to know, just like Noah, it's not without cost. Just like the things Noah had to face, there is a cost. And you have to think about the cost before you come to Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you stop and you turn back, 
You're in worse shape than if you never started. You have to count the cost. Jesus said this. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? You don't start, stop right there. You figure out before you start building if you've got enough money to finish. And if you don't, he said, everybody that walks by is going to look and they're going to say, ha, that guy didn't even have enough to finish. He should have never started. There's a house out on I-35 just north of Dallas. Big, beautiful house. When I say that, I see some of you smile and go, yeah, I've seen that house. It's sat there for, I don't know, 40 years. Beautiful place. Unfinished. Somebody else bought it one time. And I thought, oh, they're going to finish it. And they started and they quit too. I don't know. They started and they never finished. And guess what that house does? Nothing. People just walk by and go, man, that's a shame. What a waste, that big, beautiful place, and nobody ever finished it. No one ever lives there. When you come to Jesus, listen, there is no place for quitters that come to Jesus. Period. That's one of the reasons you need to be old enough to understand the commitment you're making before you're baptized into Christ. There's no place for quitters when you come to Jesus. There's no room for somebody to start and then stop. He says the latter end is worth with them than the beginning if they begin and they stop. He goes ahead and he says this, What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with his troops to defeat the enemy that's coming against him? And if he can't, he gets a flag of surrender out and he seeks terms so we don't fight. Before you go to war, before you go to battle, you try to figure out if you can win that war, right? He says this is the very same thing. If you come to Jesus, you're joining an army, a Christian army, and you need to get in there and fight. And there will be casualties and there will be cost in this war. You need to know that as you begin. Jesus said it this way, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, that's this all or nothing kind of commitment. That's what Jesus said. So ask yourself this question. If you had to choose Jesus or your wife, who do you choose? If you have to choose Jesus or your kids... Who do you choose? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's hard. If you have to choose Jesus or your own life, who do you choose? You've got to forsake everything you've got. You've got to give away everything you have. You know, the appropriate prayer before we go to Nigeria, instead of, Lord, keep me safe, the appropriate prayer is, Lord, may you be glorified, whatever the cost. That's the appropriate prayer. That's the right prayer. Because whatever the cost, He is God. And that will never change as we seek to serve Him. For if God saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in a flood on the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 
Let me tell you that the gist of it is this. Do you like guarantees? Do you like a guaranteed deal? I like guarantees. Okay? Guarantees are nice. Here's your guarantee. The guarantee is this. God looked at the world and it was so wicked. He said, I'm going to destroy them all. But Noah was righteous. So he delivered Noah. Because Noah did what he told him to do. When he said, come, Noah came and got into that ark. He says, if God knew how to deliver Noah, he knows how to deliver you. God has promised there's going to be another destruction. The end of the world's going to come and this world is going to be on fire. I know y'all have had some fires out here in West Texas, hadn't you? The whole world hadn't been on fire. I mean, I watch the news where I live in Dallas and I go, oh, wow, West Texas is burning. That's not good. But Dallas wasn't burning. The whole world's going to burn someday. It's all going to be destroyed. When you die, you're going to face a judge who will either send you to heaven or send you to hell. One of those things is true. Either one, you're going to go somewhere. And he promised you this. If you'll come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you'll come to me, I'll deliver you. I will deliver you. I will save you if you come to me. May cost everything you got, but you got to come to me. Are you willing to do that? Is there anything you wouldn't give God to respond to this promise, this, this invitation? God said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need to come to Jesus? Do you need to make that all or nothing kind of commitment? Do you need to be baptized into Christ? If we can help you in any way, will you come to the front while we stand and sing?